Thank you, Carol Choir. We have just entered this new series. This week we're jumping in, and it's a series where we're going to be just exploring uh, a few different songs, some carols that we sing at Christmas, and the message that they, they offer us about who God is and what Christmas is all about, and about this season that we can't even really only express through word. It's so significant that we just have to sing about it. And today we have been, uh, we're going to dive into and think about this song, Go Tell It, on the mountain. But before we get too far into that, I just want to ask anybody else out there if there's anyone besides me who just hates to wait. I mean, not all the time, but just sometimes. Waiting is just excruciating. I know I'm a Christian pastor. I know that patience is a virtue. But sometimes I have to confess that waiting drives me batty. Like when you're in the car and you're going somewhere, and I mean, you have rushed around like a crazy person to find your eight-year-old son's missing shoes again, and now you're driving, and you've you've eaten up all your margin time, you are just barely going to make it, and you come around that curve and see that long string of red brake lights on 217 every time. I don't know what it is about 217. There's never a traffic accident. There's never any road construction. People just can't take that curve, I guess, and feel the need to like slow to a snail's pace there. Don't take 217. That's a lesson. Um, or or when, you, when you decide last minute to just sneak in, just run to the grocery store just real quick for just two items. Just going to be a quick hitter. And then you get up to the front and the aisles, the lines are backed up into the aisles. And then you look ahead and you notice that there's only two registers open. And there's staff people milling about all over the place with aprons that say, I could open a register for you if I wanted to, but I'd rather just stand here and talk to my coworker right now. And then you're just tapping and you're looking and you're thinking, which is the one they're going to open? Because I know they're going to open a third, either here or here. And can I slide ahead and meet these other... You know, it's not a Christian thing to do, but you've thought about doing it. And, And this is maybe one of my least favorites... One of the worst waiting moments of all time. It happens constantly these days. You call any, any business. You call your bank. You call the gas company. You call the electric company. Your insurance company. Or the all-time worst of all, Cox Cable, to ask about your internet. And instead of getting a person, now you get not even the robot voice. You get the computer lady. And she makes you enter like 50 numbers before they will ever let you talk to somebody live. They need your account number, your address, your zip code, your social security number, the year you were born, the year your wife was born, the year all your kids were born. They want your PIN number. And then just to slow the process down a little bit more for you, they repeat and make you confirm every single... Does this, do you have, does this happen to you? It's like, they, they don't trust you to enter it correctly. They say, you know, the lady reads it back. The number you entered was 7053261042. If this is correct, press 1. Yeah. If this is incorrect, press 2, right? And, and, and then you finally get a real person on the phone. What's the first thing they ask you to do? Repeat all the numbers you just gave. I'm like, dude, it's in your system. I just spent 40 minutes typing them in with computer gal. I know I'm an angry, bitter, impatient person already and it's just December 7th. But it happens. Here's the point. We are not 
a waiting people. We don't like to wait. I don't I have not met a single human being yet who would just say, you know what, I love to wait. Traffic jams, wait, and waiting rooms at the doctor's office. Put me on a hold, man. No, no. We want things now. And, and then there's the hardest time to wait. When you're going through something, something difficult or a struggle or something threatening or uncertain or painful and you just want it to be over, but it never seems to end. Just this last Wednesday night, uh, Amy and I were downstairs in our living room. We were just about to put the kids to bed. We were moments away from what we call Jammy's potty teeth, which is like the signal that freedom and relaxation is coming to the adults of our family any moment. And we were moments away from Jammy's potty teeth when my youngest daughter decided that she wanted to do a dance routine for us. My son was tinkering around the piano and she said, Dax, play that song and I'm going to do this dance routine. And so like good parents, we were sitting watching our six-year-old do this dance number. And at the very end of it, at the very end of this like really stellar two-minute routine, she decides she's going to go for the jump spin. And she landed it, almost, and then proceeded to take a header right into the edge of the coffee table. And so... Yeah, it wasn't pretty. It was like she had a white dress on. It was just so, it looked like she had a fight with Russell Crowe from Gladiator and just absolutely got killed. And so um, we went to the emergency room. And that whole like, oh, thing was, was really appropriate because it was like, oh, my pocketbook. Oh, my daughter's face. Oh, our entire evening. Um, yeah, it was just a bummer. But the thing that really stuck out to me was that we had all the good parent talks with her. You know, we prayed with her and God's with you and talked to her about being real brave and all that. And, and then she had to sit there and wait while they, they numbed the area. And then she had to wait for these stitches that she was going to get. And so she waited for the pain and the discomfort and through the worry and with the fear. And then the doctor came to start doing the stitches. And after every single stitch, she would ask the same question. Was that the last one, Dad? Is it over yet? When is this going to be through? Friends, some of you, you've been going through some things and you've been asking, is it almost over yet? Is it almost done? When is this going to be through? You see, I think one of the hardest things about waiting is that oftentimes we don't know when things will be over. If we could only know when, if we we knew how long it would last, it would make it so much easier to endure, wouldn't it? Disney understands this. If you ever go to Disneyland, they, they understand this concept fully and completely. They know knowing the amount of time you will have to wait actually makes the waiting easier. That's why they post signs while you stand in line, like you get to a certain point, it'll say, from this point forward, it will only be six weeks until you finally get to ride Pirates of the Caribbean. And it's like, it's like cause for celebration when you get there. It's like it was eight weeks when we started. We're only six weeks away. away you know. that, they get that. Knowing how long can make the process so much more uh, palatable. Wouldn't it be great? I was thinking this week, wouldn't it be great if... if if God provided signs like that for your life, if when you were going just through that, that really hard, difficult, um, painful thing, God would just throw a sign up for you. Only eight more months till you find your spouse. Hold on, hold on for one more year. And this rebellion that your kid's going through, 
it'll be over. Or, I know you've been trying, but don't give up hope. A successful pregnancy is right around the corner. Keep working the counseling. A breakthrough for your marriage coming in just a few short years. Only three more months of unemployment. Remission ahead right after this next round of chemo. Depression medication will take effect with just two more adjustments. Wouldn't those signs be so helpful in your life? You see, the real problem with waiting when you're going through something hard, it's not just that we don't know when something will come, but we wonder if it will come. We can't really see how it's going to happen, how things are going to change. We don't know how it's all going to resolve. And that makes the process sometimes unbearable. Let me just pause for a second here before we kind of dive into our passage this morning and ask you this. Are you waiting on anything right now? Anything in your life that's just looming? Anything you're struggling with or tempted to worry about and you're wondering when, you're wondering how, you're wondering if? Well, our carol today, it actually takes us back to one of the greatest waiting moments in all of the Bible. In fact, if you have your Bible this morning, grab it, open to Isaiah chapter 52. If you need to use one of the Bibles in our pew rack, we're on page 600 this morning. Page 600, Isaiah chapter 52. As you turn, let me give you a little bit of the background to this passage. In 586 BC, 586 years before Jesus was born, the Babylonians, the great famous Babylonian empire ruled by King Nebuchadnezzar came in, besieged and destroyed Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital city of, of, of Judah, the southernmost tribe of the kingdom of Israel. And most people, after the Babylonians came in and defeated the city, most of the people of that city were hauled off. They were made like prisoners of war and they were taken back to Babylon to live in exile. But there's a few who remained. And those who remained were literally left in a city that had been laid to waste. Just, just rubble everywhere. All the buildings and the walls just torn down. But friends, that wasn't really the worst part for them. The worst part for those who remained, for those who were left in Jerusalem, wasn't that the city had been devastated. It wasn't that the other people had been carted off. The worst part of the whole thing was that the temple had been destroyed. And because of their sin, the presence of God had been sent into exile and it had departed from them. It had gone off. This is actually one of the lowest moments in all of the Old Testament. There's a few that are down there. This is, this is one of them. The God who dwelt amongst his people has been sent into exile, has been driven away by their sin. That's how bad things were. That's how low they had gotten. But friends, even in this moment, even in the midst of this utter and complete tragedy, the people of Jerusalem, they still held on to hope. And they held on to hope for this reason. They were told by the prophets that someday God would return. This was not the end of the story. Someday He would come back and He would bring the exiles with Him and He would redeem and He would restore and He would make things the way they were supposed to be again. And friends... Those people, they held to this promise. They clung to this promise. And they waited. And they waited. And they waited. And they waited. 
You see, by now, by the time Isaiah writes, it's been 50 years since the Babylonians came. It's been 50 years since the destruction. It's been two generations since the people had been carted off as prisoners. And in this chapter, Isaiah says, come with me. He invites us to this place where we ourselves can sit in the ruins of Jerusalem where we can understand what it must have been like to be these people, anxiously looking out to the mountains of the east, waiting, hoping, longing for news that something was going to happen, that the exiles would be coming home, that God would return to His people once more. That's the setting, friends. That's the setting into which these words that we are about to read are are, are written. And they are written to a people who are growing ever more tired of waiting. Isaiah 52, starting in verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, another word there for Jerusalem, who say to Jerusalem, your God reigns. You see, the message here as this passage begins, it's almost like a scene for a movie. Remember Chariots of Fire? Anyone here old enough to remember Chariots of Fire? I've now become one of the old people who remembers the old movies. It's actually kind of nice. Remember the opening scene of Chariots of Fire? How does it begin? What do you see? You just see feet running on a beach, right? You don't even see the people. You just see these feet coming, right? It's almost as if this was a movie. That's the scene it would start with. These feet that you just see coming, running towards you. You see, this messenger is coming from the east, from the mountains, and and they can see him. You can see him now. He's running across the hills towards the city of Jerusalem. I know it says, how beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring good news, but actually in this passage, in the Hebrew, it's it's singular. It's just one person, just one lone messenger that has kind of run off ahead of the group to announce the good news. This is the guy who gets it. This is the guy who is so excited. This is the guy who just cannot wait to share what's coming, what's happening, what God is up to. And by the way, this is actually uh, one of the first times that we hear the term good news in the Bible. Uh, Pastor Matt told me this week it was the first time. I took his word for it, but then he corrected me in between service and said, actually, I blew it. It wasn't the first time. So thanks for correcting me, Pastor Matt. A service late. The first service is in like danger and peril now because they got the wrong message. But... um, um, it's like it's, there's this tandem passage between Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 40 where this term good news first emerges. It's the, it's the word that will ultimately in the, in the New Testament become the word what? Gospel. This story is one of the first times in the scripture, scriptures where we start to hear about good news, where we start to hear about gospel. And the messenger says, I have come to bring good news. I come to announce the gospel. And the gospel for this messenger, for this messenger is simply this. In spite of your sin, God is coming. He's coming to reign, to rule, to make things the way he wants them to be again, to set things right. And he gets there, he comes running from the mountains in the east and he gets to the city walls, the broken down city walls of Jerusalem and he runs up to the walls and he looks up to the watchmen standing on the broken down walls looking out and he announces to them out of breath from running with excitement and he says, it's good news, it's good news, your God reigns. Your God reigns. And friends, right here in this opening verse, we're told what that means. 
We're told that it means good news. That when God comes, when God reigns, when God's in control, it is good news. And it means three, three, three things. Three things come with God's reign. The first thing is peace. The Hebrew word here is the word shalom. And when we think of peace, but sometimes we just think of like the absence of violence. Like there is, there is no conflict. But that's not really a full picture of shalom. That's not really a full picture of peace in the scriptures. This is not just no fighting. Shalom describes this, this place of perfect harmony between God and man and creation. That's shalom. That's peace. God has come and he will bring perfect harmony Harmony to all of creation again. And then the second thing we're told that comes as a part of God's reigning is a message of goodness. The words there are what? Good tidings. When you hear the words good tidings, what season do you think of? Right, you think of Christmas. And, and when I hear good, I don't know if I'm like you or not, but when I hear the words good tidings, I just kind of think of like, well, it's a jolly old time. Like I've got a cup of apple cider and all the lights on my Christmas tree are currently working. It's good. <laughs> Life is good. Good tidings to you. You know, good tidings of comfort and joy. Cheers. That's not what the writer is getting at here. That's not the picture of goodness that is being announced in this passage. You see, this, uh, this messenger comes and he says God is coming to reign. And when God comes, he brings something good. Not just kind of good, good, good. Garden of Eden good. Like when God created the world and it was just the way he wanted to, it to be. And he said it was good. That's the goodness that comes when God reigns. That's the good news. That's the gospel. And then there's going to be peace and there's going to be good. And then finally he says there's going to be salvation. Salvation. And friends, this is a very explicit Old Testament word, which literally and very simply means this, the ending of slavery. The ending of slavery. And now we kind of have a sense of why maybe the African-American slaves of our nation were drawn to this passage and to this song because salvation has come and it means the end of slavery. It means you will no longer be in bondage, not just to the things of this world or the people of this world, but you will now, when God reigns, no longer even be in bondage to your sin. Salvation, peace, and goodness. Salvation. That's the reign of God. So this messenger, he runs up and he announces this good news to the watchmen standing on the remains of Jerusalem's broken down city walls. And then in verse 8 it says this, Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, to Jerusalem, they will see it with their own eyes. You see, the movie is now changing. See, in this movie so far, we've seen the feet, we've seen the messenger, we've watched him approach the the walls of Jerusalem, and now we get a glimpse of the watchmen. And they look up from the messenger out to the hills, and now they can see beyond the messenger, and they can see for themselves the droves of people coming, the exiles returning from Babylon, and they lift up their voices, and they shout for joy. Why, friends? This is the moment they have been waiting for. It's finally here. 50 years. Ever waited for something for 50 years? The waiting is over. That's what they know right now. God is coming home. Verse 9. 
Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. You see, now the joy is spreading. Word is getting out. The exiles are on their way back. God is coming home. The presence of God will reside with His people in Jerusalem once more. The celebration begins. Friends, the entire city is singing now. And if you, if you don't catch this, I'm not going to go too far into it, but if you don't catch this, Jesus references this very passage, right? When he's, when he's riding the donkey into Jerusalem and the Pharisees say to him, what? Make him be quiet. And he says, if they're not quiet, the stones will cry out. What do you think he's talking about there? He's referencing this story right here in Isaiah. And what he's saying is, when I ride into Jerusalem, it's as if God himself rides into Jerusalem. It's amazing stuff. Just boom, my brain just exploded. Okay, here we go. You see, this, in this moment here, even though everything is not fixed, I mean, think about it. The city wall is still a wreck. The economy is still shot. The, attempt, the temple is still just a pile of rocks. But the people are singing and shouting and celebrating. Nothing about their situation has, has changed quite yet. But now they have hope. Because God has come home to fix it. He has come home to comfort and redeem and make things the way they were supposed to be. And we all have this sense, don't we, when we look around this world that things aren't the way they're supposed to be? Don't you just get a sense of thrill, of a hope, when something that's wrong gets made right or you see something fixing something that's wrong and making it right? There's something that just feels good in your soul. Think about that on a grand scale here. Verse 10. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. This is my favorite part. It says the Lord will lay bare his holy arm. You ever notice that the Bible talks about the arm of God a lot? Like the arm of God is not, is not weak. The arm of God is strong. The arm of God this, the arm of God that. And, and here Isaiah says the, the Lord will lay bare his holy arm. Well, this is a phrase that actually is very similar to our American phrase, roll up your sleeves. Yeah, you got it, Mike. It's actually what it means. It means just roll up your sleeves. And and when we say, I'm going to roll up my sleeves, what are we talking about? What are we saying? We're saying, yeah, I'm about to get to work. I'm about to dive in. I'm about to get busy fixing a problem. I'm just rolling up my sleeves and I'm getting to it. And that's what God is doing. That's what's being communicated here. God is coming back to dive in to the work of redeeming and restoring and making things right again for Jerusalem. God has come to lay his arm bare, to roll up his sleeves, to get busy doing what God does. And and then then Isaiah does something that that actually prophets in the Old Testament do um, all the time. At the very end of of this passage, he says this. He says, this action of God, this return of God, this reign of God, this redemptive work that God is up to, it's not just limited to this people in this place at this time. Isaiah, he goes on to tell us that this work that God is doing here, he'll someday, this work that he's doing for Jerusalem right now, in this moment, he'll someday do for all the nations, right? See how the scope has now all of a sudden widened? And he says, all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our 
God. You see, someday, Isaiah says, in spite of your sin, God is coming to reign and rule and make things the way He wants them to be again, not just for Jerusalem, but for all of humanity, for all of this world, for all of creation. You see, someday, someday, good news, gospel, will come and it will be for all the people. Does that phrase ring a bell? For all the people? Have you heard that somewhere else before? Where have you heard that? You've heard that in the readings at Christmas in Luke chapter 2. But the angel said to them, this is the angel in the fields announcing Jesus' birth to the shepherds, right? He's saying, he's here, he's arrived, he's come. And the the angels are telling the shepherds, and here's what they say. Do not be afraid. This is the angel. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. You see, this is the moment. This is the moment that Isaiah talked about hundreds of years before. Christmas, friends, is the moment when God sees a people living in rubble. When God sees a humanity destroyed and decimated by sin and He decides to come to earth, roll up His sleeves and start to fix it. You see, at Christmas, the the reign and return and restoration project of God in this world begins. That's the good news. That's why we shout it. That's why we proclaim it. That's why we go and tell it from the mountaintops because the God of this world has come to this world to redeem this world, restore this world, to bring salvation and peace and goodness and make things the way they're supposed to be. God, in Jesus at Christmas, says, it's time to roll up my sleeves and get busy making things right. How, how, here's the question today, how could we not be compelled to share this wonderful, this wonderful, amazing good news, this gospel with others. I mean, think about the shepherds, right? They get the good news. They receive the good news. They go to Bethlehem to, to, to experience the good news for themselves. And then they just go back to the fields and tend their sheep and think, that was so cool. And they high-five each other and they have little like small groups together and they do Bible study. And they, No, what do they do? It tells us that they go and they they share the news with any and everyone who will listen and people were amazed to hear it. They cannot contain, they cannot help themselves from sharing the good news. And that's what this carol, Go Tell It on the Mountain, says to us, friends. It says, remember that messenger, that one, that, that sole messenger who ran ahead, even though he was exhausted, he wouldn't stop, he ran ahead over the hills, through the mountains, and he gets to the city walls to say... He's coming back. Remember him? Go tell him on the mountain says, Go be him. Go be the one who knows that God has come to save and redeem. Go be the one who runs ahead to announce it, to tell about it, to help people embrace it. One of the, one of the, most, um, one of the best parts about being an elder here at, at Cedar Mill is just the chance to get to know just some of the, the finest people in our church. And uh, last Wednesday, not this past Wednesday, but the Wednesday before, um, the elders were gathered at 6.15 a.m. We gather every week on Wednesday at 
right in that room back there, and we sit and pray and talk and seek God for the direction of this church. But sometimes we get a chance to just talk personally about what God's doing in us, how God has worked in our lives and how he's working in our lives right now. And a couple Wednesdays ago, one of our more senior elders, Pete Amen, was sharing his story. And I'd never heard Pete's story before, but he talked about how early in his life he was just a really legalistic Christ follower and how he was caught in this system that, that really pigeonholed him and told him that he could never do enough to earn God's favor. And so he was constantly, constantly trying to do more for God, more for God, prove to God and himself that he really was a true Christian. And it was just something that was just like tormenting to his heart and to his soul. And, and he's just telling this story and you can just see the emptiness in it. You can just feel sort of the desperation as he tells the story. And then he says... And then it all changed. And the turning point of his story was the most insignificant seeming thing you would ever imagine. A woman, a woman from Cedar Mill Bible Church that neither he nor his wife had seen before or ever saw after invited his wife Joyce to a parenting group. Just said, I think you'd like to, I think you'd connect with these women. We'd love to have you. Would you come to this parenting group? And so she came and she made some relationships here. And eventually over time, that led to Pete and Joyce coming here and hearing the gospel preached by um, Al Wallen, one of the old pastors here. And Pete, for the very first time, says he started to actually understand grace. That God loved him, not because of what he did, because of who God was and what he had done. And Pete said it just changed his life. It changed his world. And you know what? I don't know if you know Pete, but you know, um, he's not here today. He's sick, so I can say this. He's not a young guy. I mean, it's like there's dirt and then there's Pete. No. I mean, Pete is, he's like, the, he's like one of the best guys I know, so I can say that like in an endearing way. But, but this is a story that happened years and years, decades ago, friends. Still, when he tells that story, he gets choked up. Talking about this woman that he never even saw. And I just, I have to say, you know, what if? What if, what if she'd never shared? See, friends, we talk, we talk about sharing Jesus, sharing the gospel, proclaiming the good news. And I know it is not easy. I know there are a lot of reasons not to do it. I know there are a lot of dangers and fears and insecurities. There are a lot of what ifs. What if I talk about Jesus? What if I invite someone to church and... and and they reject me? What if they laugh at me? What if they label me some religious freak? What if they begin to ask questions and I can't answer them and I look stupid? What if it's just awkward? I mean, what if I invite them to church on Sunday and it's one of those Sundays that things don't go well? You know, it's just an off day and it's, it's weird and it's bad and then I have to see him on Monday? I invited him on Sunday, but I have to see him on Monday, Pastor Dave. Like, what if, what if, what if? But friends, maybe what if's the wrong question. Maybe instead of asking what if, we should ask what if. What if? What if I took a chance? What if I was vulnerable? What if I was real and authentic? What if I made the call or sent the text or handed out the invite? What could God do if I were to step out of this place of relational safety and security and take a chance to share the gospel and the message of Christmas? What if? Maybe someone like Pete's life will be different. Maybe God would use that one invitation, that one moment, that one word, that one conversation to change the course 
of someone's eternity. Friends, I... It's always hard to talk about evangelism. It's always hard to talk about sharing your faith because it's such a difficult thing and there's no way to make it simple or easy, but I do want to just help you make this as practical as possible today. One person. One person this month, not this week, not today. One person this month, this month of December, maybe before Christmas Eve, so it's not quite a month now, but one person this Christmas season that you need to have a conversation with that God is saying to you right now, you know what? I should have had this conversation years ago or God's brought this person into my life. They don't know Christ. They're, they're searching. They're seeking. Look around this world, friends. How many people, how many lives, how many, how many families do you see just decimated by sin? How much rubble do you see out there in this world? And people are longing. People are seeking. They are looking for anything that will bring what? Peace to their souls. Harmony in their world. Peace with God. The Bible says Jesus came so that we can have peace with God. That's what we have to offer. Hey, just in case you've missed this part of the sermon, this thing that we are called to proclaim and shout from the mountaintops, it's good news. It's good news. It's great news. It's awesome stuff. We have Christmas Eve services here. Um, I'm preaching on O Holy Night. That's the, that's the carol that night. I'll just say, I'll give you a little sneak preview. I'm talking about the thrill of hope. How when, when hope is a part of a life, there's just this invigorating thrill, this life-giving breath that, that, that comes in. How many people in our world long for, need, are desperate to find the thrill of hope and something that lasts for more than just a moment or a fix? I'm talking about how a weary world can rejoice. How people tired and exhausted and cynical can find this this peace and this hope that that will create rejoicing in their souls. Not just for a moment, but for all eternity. Is there one person you might hand this invitation to? We did this invitation for Christmas Eve in conjunction with two other churches in our community. And we just kind of came together and said, what would it look like if we just blanketed this whole northwest corner of Portland with invites to Christmas Eve? And we did it together. So that's what we did. Is there someone that you at the very least could just hand this invitation to and say, I'd love it if you join us for Christmas Eve services this year. Like that's like the lowest bar of go tell it on the mountain there is. Can, <laughs> it's like a two foot high jump. Can you, can you pull that? You see... The New Testament takes this, this, this same message, and, and, and I'm winding down here, and, and, and Paul talks about it. He talks about it to the early church, and he says, this is essential, friends. Go and share the good news. Go and proclaim the good news. Go and tell people about what God has done in Jesus. Romans chapter 10. He's talking about people who don't know, who haven't heard, who don't have a relationship with Christ. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And that word preaching doesn't mean like pastor preaching. It just means someone sharing the news, talking to them, having a conversation, handing them an invite. And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? And then he says this, As it is written, listen to these words, As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. What's the image that Paul's kind of drawn on there? He's saying, 
Be like that messenger who runs ahead of the pack to announce what God is up to. You, church, you, Christ followers, you be that guy. Friends, I'll tell you what, I don't have beautiful feet. Like, there's nothing attractive at all about my feet. My wife won't let me go anywhere near her with my feet. You know, like when you're married, sometimes you sleep in the same bed, even if it's a king, and you're like trying to get as far apart as you possibly can. Sometimes your foot slides over and like touches the other person's leg. Sorry, high school kids, this happens with your parents. But um, <laughs> every now and then that'll happen, and Amy's like, get those feet away from me. You can touch me with anything else, but not the feet. I have like size 15 feet, and they're, my, my second toe is longer than my pinky. It's really gross. There's nothing pretty about my feet. Paul says, you want to have beautiful feet? It's not about going to get a pedicure. It's about being a person who comes and brings the gospel, brings the good news, and not just a message, but a life and an invitation. Church, here's the call today. Go, tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere, in your house, in your neighborhood, at the office, with your family with whoever God leads into, into your path, go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere, that Jesus Christ is born. God has come home to fix and redeem and offer peace and goodness and salvation to His children. Who needs to know? Let's pray. Father, thank You for this morning, this encouragement to think about people who don't know you, who are far from you. I pray right now that your spirit would lead every single one of us to just the right person. That you would give us wisdom, Lord. That we would know if it should be just a card dropped in a mailbox or handed or a conversation or maybe even something a little more vulnerable and serious like a story or even an invitation to know you. Lead us and guide us, God. May we be a church that does go and proclaim the good news, the gospel, to this world that desperately needs to hear it. That's our prayer. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, this morning, as you think about the person maybe God's leading you to offer the gospel to, or even ask God to reveal someone to you, uh, we invite you to come to the table to, to take the elements and um, I'm going to ask that you just carry them back to your seat with you and hang on to them. And we're going to receive them together um, as a church in, in just a moment. So take a minute, spend some time with the Lord, come forward, get the elements back to your seats and hold on to them. We'll take them together.
talked about how at Christmas God rolled up his sleeves and said I'm, I'm going in I'm going to get busy fixing and redeeming and restoring. The work he started at Christmas he finished at Calvary he finished when he gave his body and he shed his blood to redeem us and restore us and save us from the bondage of slavery from the bondage of sin friends see this morning we've been talking We've been talking about going out and sharing the gospel and proclaiming the gospel. But maybe today you just need to receive the gospel. You just need to declare again, Jesus is Lord. I have peace with God. Think good things are happening. Restoration is, is happening in me. Not because of the good works I'm doing, but because of the good work He did through His death and resurrection. Maybe you need to declare that today again through this meal for the 101st time or the 501st time or the 871st time or maybe today you need to say it for the very first time. God, you are Lord. 
You are king and the peace and the goodness and the salvation and the freedom that I've been searching for every place in this world and have not found, I can only find in you. Do you need to say that to God today? Have you never said that to God? Do you need to say it again? That's this meal. That's the Lord's Supper. The body of Christ for you and me. Whether it's your 101st time or your very first time, let's take and eat. The blood of Christ shed for freedom and salvation. Take and drink. God, we receive the gospel. We take it in. We declare it again. That by your work on the cross, we receive salvation and that you reign in us. Reign in us. Use us. And then may we proclaim that same gospel to this world that desperately needs it. May we shout it from the mountains, God. Through our words, through our lives, through our actions. And get all the glory. In Jesus' name.